Hello, Footers and Gravers. Thank you very much for downloading part two of the Dave Remick Q&A special. Thank you so much for all your kind feedback from last week's episode. Thrilled to release part two today. Let me know if your thoughts on David's answers and, you know, perhaps if you've got any follow-up questions, I may be able to send them on to the, the man himself who, who may or may not be able to respond, but it's always worth a try. I'm not going to waffle on. I'm going straight into the next question for part two of this podcast. Oh, I'm the grave. This one is from a Mark Peachy. Hi, Tom. And hi, David Renwick. I believe I'm actually saying that. Thank you for inviting me to ask some questions. The first one I wanted to ask was about the switch between the set from Series 1 and Series 2. The Meldrews house is obviously a lot different from Series 2 onwards. And I was just wondering, do you think the show would have worked as well with the older set? Personally, I prefer the new, the newer house. It just kind of flows better and you can follow the characters more and there's, there's more of a... It just feels a bit freer and a bit more fluent. The second question I wanted to ask was about, have you ever looked back at any of the episodes of One Foot and thought that you'd want to rewrite or maybe change the ending of one or two of them? Another question I thought of was, when is an episode actually finished? When do you say, right, that's it, I can't improve upon it anymore? Is it tempting to go back and keep tweaking things and... Another question, I'm going to be cheeky because I've got another, another question. Um, my personal favourite of mine is One Foot in the Algarve, partly because of Peter Cook. And I just wondered, did you write that, the Martin Trout character, did you write that with Peter Cook in mind? Thanks for that, Mark. So first of all, switching sets. Second part was rewriting, but I, I imagine you're proud of what you've done, but you're also quite critical of, you're a self-critical person, if, if I can say that just that's uh, yeah. a compliment if you like and then the third part was do you uh where do you feel an episode is finished when writing we covered quite a lot of that in previous questions and then um peter cook did you have him in mind we, mm. if we go from the sets switch first do you feel it would have worked if you continued or you, everything's meant to be isn't it because you had to change sets for a reason i think through um, cost wasn't it the 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 um, house owners no. wanted a lot of money didn't they um i don't think no that certainly wasn't didn't figure in my calculations in the writing i mean it may be that they did want money oh did i read that, a rumor then well uh, that may have been the case that the, but it, it wasn't uh it didn't sort of um, filter into my writing felt that when we made that first series everything about that the environment and their and their the look of them felt absolutely right at that point i mean in retrospect it, it kind of seems slightly odd now because we're so used to the fact that there were you know another 35 episodes or whatever that where they, where they weren't in that house and they didn't look like that but um that was you know it had a kind of an old-fashioned look about it and it did yeah in a way they were old-fashioned and it sort of more resembled i suppose my my own whole sort of um background and world that I had inhabited coming from a very working class background on a council estate and um, not that that was on a council estate but it was but it, it was you know it was modest it wasn't sort of lower middle class almost it wasn't yeah I mean I you know, <clears throat> um, yeah but it, you know it wasn't um, uh, it wasn't particularly modern 
Um, and it, I, so again, I've said this before that um, that that um, sitcoms, by and large, tended to divide up between the, the very overtly middle class and the kind of kitchen sink working class, or the sort of Ralph Garnet rising damp end of the spectrum, or it was sort of, you know the good life at the other end, or something. Yeah. And getting something that sort of was more nondescript in the middle, you know, was was more of a rarity. So that that was where I wanted to pitch it. Of course, there was a whole that whole area of Annette's look as Margaret, and you know, I mean, the the decision to have a haircut was entirely made by her unilaterally as we know at the beginning of the uh, second series um, yeah. i know you're talking to owen about that i mean the compromise we reached in the end there was that um there happened to be a time lapse at the beginning of that episode between discovering the house yes ruins of the house and then jumping forward many months to when they were in the new one and we used that to we put her in a most dreadful unconvincing wig that was the best thing we could come up with in a short space of time um <clears throat> for the first scene and then then you know uh, and then just yeah that's that's I, I was trying to remember i was trying to recall if yeah. annette had the but haircut that, between yeah. filming, but no, it she had yeah. it was, she already had it. Yeah, I didn't think that um, Margaret Meldrew would have gone on holiday to Greece and to have a haircut. Is yeah, she had all her hair. It's not that impossible, is, but it's, it's not, unlikely. No, it's, not, it's unlikely, it's, isn't it? In the realms of plausibility, I just felt it was. I mean, yeah. had the two had the first episode of series two not begun with them coming back from the holiday we saw them departing for at the end of the previous series, it wouldn't have been an issue. Yeah. But that was what, um, you know, did make it an issue, like something we had to address. Anyway, um, I, yes, I mean, I think that the kinds of, um, you know, construction, comic constructions and farce and all the rest of it would have worked just as well in that. House. Yeah. I, 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 it's hard to imagine because we, we love so that. The, yeah. yeah, you're used to it, but you, it would have de- it would have developed and evolved anyway. It's a lot brighter, isn't it? It has a much sort of fresher, lighter feel to it. Yeah, because I like um, Gene says he used to go in for those browns and greys yeah. and so, yeah. in, sort of yeah. backhanded compliments in a way. Yeah. Oh yeah, well that was her all over, of course, <laughs> yeah. dropping herself in it. Said, this this is nice. It might be absolutely horrible, but. I <laughs> Uh, clean some of the filth from these cupboards yeah yeah brilliant i loved all that stuff but um no just to get back to the kernel of all this was that i'm sitting down trying to write episode one of the second series what do i put into this show what's a you know suitably disastrous moment to begin with they come back from holiday and found their house has been demolished you know that was the well the first idea was their house is blown up i thought you know my um more an extreme idea to be given yeah if i do that whatever reason uh, if i even contrive that to have happened there'll be a bomb gone off somewhere that week in reality and it will be you know it'll be pulled from the airwaves so best not to put that in um so we'll just have it you know go up in flames Uh, peter cook was the always in mind to play martin trout that's the final no no it's a yeah um uh, peter cook i'd worked with on a film of whoops apocalypse um in which he played the um sort of loony prime minister and um i think no i think if i remember rightly i think i in my mind i wrote that part for ronnie corbett I imagine Ronnie Corbett playing Martin Trout, 
Um, now, whether we changed our mind or he wasn't available, or I have no idea he wasn't available anyway. I, yeah, I thought I read Ronnie Corbett was considered to play Victor Meldrew oh, one right. time. Oh, uh, but, but that's yeah. I probably might have misread or misheard that. No, me, I don't remember that <laughs> being, being the case, but it was a great choice. Like, but, but we, like, you know, we, we saw some other people, um, and um, and there was just a point where. And I said, what about Peter Cook? And so it was another of those wonderful moments. You send him a script, he likes it. And was he was he given was he one of the probably the only actor where you were would allow him to ad lib somewhat? Yeah, well, I remember Chris saying that because she was there all of the time in Portugal. I was only there for the first week, but well, there were yes, I mean slightly tweaked the lines and, and usually well, we, you you would say, No, no, and again, please, but actually because it's Peter yeah, Cook. Yeah. I mean because it's Peter Cook, it would be rare that he, you know, I mean, most of the time people come up with alternatives to your lines. I mean, you know, I'm the first to say, yes, that is clearly better than what I wrote. <laughs> you know, let's go with it. Why would I want it not to mm. be better? But um, rather arrogantly, a lot of the time it isn't. And you think, well, why would you think that, you know, by coming up with that on the spur of the moment, it's going to be better than, you know, something? No, like that's that's that fair call. Um, yeah. I mean, no, that sounds yeah, that sounds sounds rather sort of um, grandiose. But um, I mean, I had a line uh, off the top of my head. I remember um, when he's on the phone in the villa saying and uh, talking about those photographs. And so <laughs> you don't have to wear uh, oven gloves because they're so, so hot. They're really hot. And um, he changed it. He changed it to asbestos gloves, which was a much more absurd idea anyway. And uh, of course, it was so much funnier. But then you know, he's Peter Cook. Um, yeah. and um, so there might have been one or two where he sort of just fluffed it a bit, but uh, by and large, um, there were a lot of ad libs he did like that in the in the Whoops Apocalypse film, oh, which cool. you know, was just a treat because it's Peter Cook. I mean, you know, and I grew up with you know watching Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, you know, when I was at grammar school, and it's just unreal to find you're on set with these people, you know, and, uh, um, you're, you're absolute heroes, it's, yeah. Um, he played it so well one foot in the algarve is is that one episode i know that it's not the one episode i will roar with laughter at, and um it's something special about it i don't know what it is apart from the fact it's filmed abroad and and uh yeah. they're out of their comfort zone and it's centered around gene war boys more so it's uh having martin trout as a character trying to track down this uh bit of dynamite that's going to make him some money it's just the dynamics are completely different and i absolutely yeah. love it I did have a, uh, I mean, I, I had it within it. I mean, you will also probably know this episode was 40 minutes longer to begin with. There was another whole strand which we took out. Was, again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about my insecurities of packing too much into a show. We didn't need it. Um, but there was a, there was some uh, explanation as to how Peter Cook's character had tracked them down. From oh, the- I was speculating this to- with um, Darren. Um, I'd had, had, had broken down this episode. So how did he track them? He lost them at the uh, train station. station. Yeah. He did so well. <laughs> because Algarve isn't a small city, is it? No. So, <laughs> no. Uh, it, again, it was- as I recall, it was as I recall, there was um it was something to do with the receipt um that was in the um in the, the packet with the with the roll of film. Right. Is there in a shoe shop um at one point and he's across the road? I can't remember if he spots them at that point. But well, the first still... time you see him, he's just walking down and he gets slammed by the the uh, the, 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 the lorry door, door, yeah. My door. my my late nan um she would crease up with that. Because it yeah, cuts so abruptly, doesn't it? 
And that, for some reason, makes it funnier. <laughs> yeah, when you're not expecting it, it is one of those clues yeah. at the moment. <laughs> but um, I, I, no, does that make sense about the receipt? Because it was a roll of film that they were about to take into the, um, to be developed, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah, it? That, yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's, it's I can't know. Anyway, I know that it did make sense in my mind at the moment because I, 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 it, all went, it all went into the script. And it was simply a matter of pruning the show down. We thought, do we need this? Do we need this explanation as to how he got there? Or will, or will you know, but there was some detective work that he'd done. And it probably involved a scene with, um, you know, sort of half a page of dialogue of Peter Cook saying this, um, mm. which in the end you thought this is slowing things up and can't we just accept that he's turned up there? Yeah. I, I, of course, there's always somebody. I imagine. How did he get there? And, I imagine yeah. um, One Foot fans were, were presuming 30 years later you'd be on a podcast explaining it anyway. So <laughs> yeah. anyway. I'm... I haven't sufficiently explained it now, <laughs> but I know there was, there was an explanation. Trust me. Question here from your old mate, Gordon. This is Gordon James Cocody, ringing from Cocody. Now, I'm kind of wondering, Mr. Winnick, are you a wee fan of the snooker? Because in Dramatic Fever, you're reading a fair few snooker players' names there. No Stephen Hendry, no. Anyway, a big fan of your work. All the best from up here in Cocody. So that was actually my good friend, Simon Smith, who's uh, regular on the podcast. And I thought it was quite, um, quite a creative yeah. question there. So snooker, big fan of snooker. No, because that um, that would have been quite creepy otherwise. Because I think it was John Sessions did that voice, wasn't it originally in the um, in the show? Oh, I wish I could tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you think well, I do that off the top of my yeah, head? I don't. No, no. <laughs> no Eric <laughs> Idle was one. Eric Idle, um, yeah. No, he didn't do any of the snooker snooker. Voices. Did he not? No. Um, it was like him that. and Chris Emmett who uh, did work with a lot on radio. Um, Embarrassed myself, that David. But um, John Sessions was—he uh, came over to us in the canteen one day and was was sort of big fan of the show when it was going out. And we said, "Well, we'll give you a, some bits and pieces to doing it if you're if you're up for it." So he came in and did those voices. Um, but um, I've forgotten what the question was. No, so, um, did you write that sketch? Not sketch that part of the dramatic fever because you had a, an interesting. I know Simon is a big snooker fan. I just wondered. I suppose he's wondering. Are you a? Yeah, I do tend to watch. I don't play, but I do. You know, I I tend to watch the snooker yeah. um, tournaments when they come round. Um, and certainly was watching. Was obviously in, quite quite into it. And those days because I managed to get all the names. But I don't think also as always with comedy, you're looking for names that are kind of have some comic quality to them. Um, and I'm not sure Stephen Hendry quite. Off of that, really. Whereas Bill Werbenick and uh, whoever the other, I can't remember what the other names were. Who's he um, playing? Hurricane Higgins. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like. Yes. No, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's he, um. Yeah. Got to um, sound funny. It's like you you've mentioned you've mentioned before about if if a character's speaking of numbers, a number has an odd number might sound funny than an even number. I'm sure you've said before to the finest detail. If it could be something as small as that, making it a number twenty three might sound funny than twenty. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, kind of and, the, and the rhythm of them. I mean, here is a here is a completely interesting aside. I can also remember one of those moments imprinted in my memory back in the seventies when I um, knew and sort of briefly worked with Douglas Adams. Um, he was saying he was very he was always amused by an interview in which John Cleese had been asked what's the funniest number and John Cleese without drawing breath said 42 and lo and behold of course that number then crops up and becomes you know a an iconic number in the, in the hitchhiker canon but that's where that came from originally I remember Douglas mentioning that and so yes um everything has a its rhythm it's um the old thing about words that have a k in them or a k sound I suppose like Bill Werbenick 
indeed um, or hurricane higgins but certain words are funny and certain but i um, yes i used to watch the snoop what was the rest of that question i can't well uh, interestingly also my my wife's mother came from kirkcody in um, oh okay so well, maybe there was a connection there possibly uh well, well i think the silliness of that is that his name is kirkcody and he lives in kirkcody yeah. i mean that's just, just catering catering yeah, yeah. Just love that. This next one is from Rachel. Hi, David. My question is, I've got two actually, but here's the first one. How would you write social media into a One Foot in the Grave storyline if it was around back then? And my second question is, when is Victor's birthday? Thank you, Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Um, uh, social media, I sort of touch on in my book. Jean has the Twitter, didn't she? She's the one who, yes. Um, I don't think it's something Victor or Margaret would ever necessarily get. Um, Nick Sweeney would. I think Nick Sweeney would would have um, yeah, Outward yeah. Bound for the Elderly Facebook group where I, you can. Uh, I'm sure of that, and um, I'm not sure Patrick and Pippa wouldn't. But um, who knows? I mean, I um, I'd have to come up with the you know the funny idea that uh, I suspect it would be some form of. Um, idea that depended upon the broadcasting nature of social media to i mean mm. in a way it's the sort of it's the, it's a kind of close cousin to the parish magazine which i used a few times didn't i with the um um the erroneous posting about um you know send your artificial limbs to <laughs> and all of that you'd probably use it and just you know just be modernizing that yeah yeah device um, and bringing bringing that up to date in the same way that you, know, you just did everything laboriously over a landline phone in the old days, and now you might be texted or whatever. You see, I mean, you do you move with the times to some extent. I mean, there was a joke in Jonathan Creek, which I was always quite proud of, which 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 only really could work as a text, and that was when uh, the bird character, um, the heron, bring her on Tuesday, bring her on Tuesday. And then he left the gap out and it was bring Heron Tuesday. But you, you know, you need that sort of shorthand uh, that you would use in a text, um, not even in an email, because you would say, um, will you bring the Heron if you were using, if you were talking about a Heron. Um, whereas you would conceivably say bring Heron Tuesday. You know, yeah. That's the kind of language in a text. And so it did work perfectly. So, um, yes, you adapt to the, you know, the different... Um, Old Lewis Atterbury. Lewis Atterbury. That was that, that was, was the there. it was the yeah same actor wasn't it made a comeback. Oh, oh yes, the John Boyd was talking about yeah. yeah well, of course yeah. he appeared twice in in uh, in, um, in Jonathan Creek. He yes, detective as well. Yeah. He did. But um, Victor Meldrew's birthday. Meldrew's birthday. Oh yes, that was Rachel's other question. He's got to be. I, mean, I could I could have a go well, at answering that. Virgo. Doesn't he say Virgo when he's reading out Russell Grant's um, stars? In oh yeah, the, what months on the. On the ruins of the house well i know that because i'm a virgo and that's probably why i said virgo so it was oh, september yeah the 22nd and september the 21st or something i was going to say friday the 1st of april or halloween 31st of october might be suitable for victor but uh... not since we have uh, obviously committed to virgo committed I think, to, yeah I, I think there may it may well be that you know somewhere elsewhere in the series i've uh, i forgot that and gave him a birthday somewhere else yeah. i can't remember yeah, well, it's uh, my son was born Halloween. Uh, we need a birthday theme every year for him. Um, I mean, it depends whether you ascribe any of these astrological traits to, uh, you know, to, to people. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Very kind of inly retentive sort of person, which is probably, <laughs> I suppose, would describe Victor. So. Mark asks. Hello, David and Tom. Uh, Mark from Stockport here. 
No, I've been a huge fan of the One Foot in the Grave since my school days, and I'm an avid listener to the podcast. And over its run, One Foot has given us a number of comedy legends as guest stars in numerous episodes, from much-loved sitcom stalwarts such as Stephen Lewis, Jimmy Jewell, and the wonderful Brian Murphy, who starred in my favourite Christmas special, The Man Who Blew Away, through to comedy royalty such as Peter Cook, Roy, Ho- Roy Hood, and Eric Idle. So my question is... Were there any comedy greats who nearly made it into one foot that, for one reason or another, it didn't quite happen? And as a supplement to that question, which comedy legend, living or dead, would have been your dream casting in the one foot universe? Thank you. Thank you, Mark. You mentioned Roddy Corbett was a was a was a nearly for Martin Trout. He's a yeah. comedy legend, isn't he? But uh... certainly was, yes, or still is. Uh, I'm trying to think now whether there was anyone we, we desperately wanted to get, or we probably tried for Rick Mail a few times, as as we did on everything I ever wrote, and and you know I was lucky enough to work with him several times in the end anyway. But um, I think we might have tried to get him for Mr. Kazanzi originally. I was um, just thinking he'd suit Kazanzi. <laughs> I was just thinking which which eccentric character with a bit of front would would yeah, Rick Mail suit yeah, Kazanzi definitely. Yeah, with a lot of body hair. <laughs> um, which he, he would have loved all that sort of stuff yeah he would have lapped it up wouldn't he yeah um uh, but um i um because i mean there were so many great i mean when we cast barbara windsor for instance i mean yeah. yes barbara windsor was known and she you know she got that history with the you know with the carry on films and things but it yeah was, it was pre-eastenders because i remember it's when we were working on that show that um she got offered the part and oh, did she join EastEnders as late as what 94, 95? Yeah, wow, yeah, I thought she was on a couple of years before that. Immediately yeah. after that, so it wasn't like, oh, let's get um, you know, uh, Barbara Windsor, Peggy Mitchell on, yeah, yeah, Peggy Mitchell. She was, she was, you know, was not in the public eye. And I, you know, I love the fact that I think I said to you before that we've got all those old kind of character actors, yeah, like Stephen Lewis's, uh, I think it was Meg mentioned earlier, and um. Uh, you know, who were, you know, very incredibly good value. Um, dream casting from ever. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Woody Allen was asked this question um, recently. I'm waffling now because I can't think of an answer. But I don't know if you heard that, it... that, that, that thing he did with Alec Baldwin. Um, he was just I didn't see it. it. I'll hear it. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's online somewhere. It's um, okay if you can't think of anything. Yeah, it's, he it's, said, it's, who, maybe... would you, who would you love to have cast in your film from, you know, from history? And he said, W.C. Fields. It's just that I thought it was a very, very interesting <laughs> answer to give. Uh, and W.C. Fields, I'm an immense fan of. Whether I would have wanted him in... Uh, would it have worked show, or not in one foot? Yeah. Different matter. Not. Yeah. We're not. But um, I thought that was an interesting um, answer to come out with in lieu of the answer that I can't immediately give. Um, I mean, obviously, there are loads of wonderful people that and I'd probably think of somebody after this. Uh, yeah. This next is from uh, Nikki. Why did you specifically decide to choose the Algarve? Was it based on a previous holiday or did it just sound right for the episode name? It was a very emotional scene when the audience found out about the loss of their son. But did you ever see another child in their lives or were you thinking that it would just change the dynamic too much? Oh, thank you for that, Nikki. Uh, um, well, the, the Algarve one is just purely and simply it was a kind of a punning title. Um, and you uh, said before that... Um, it's an anagram of grave, isn't it? Partly. Well, yeah, <laughs> yes. Oh, you spotted it. Yes, of course. La grave. It, it was. It that. That's all it was. You know, um, um, one foot in Gravesend might, you know, also work, but would have been less exotic. Um, and 
that's you know I, I, I think it it was about the week after that we won our um, BAFTA and um, because I'd just been toying with that title in my head I put it in and I suspect principally on the back of that win because these things impress the BBC um, they just uh, went for it straight away and said yes okay let's do it and you think wow oh god so we're going off to Portugal to film a, a Christmas special um, and um, and that was that you know it was a very easy sell nice, yeah. it, was, it was totally down to the to the to the name yes totally yeah um, and um, uh, I I don't imagine that I, I think these things tend to be very ad hoc, the business of the, the lost son, which crops up. And, you know, it's a moment that just intuitively felt absolutely right to address at that moment within um, that episode. You know, to, to, texturally, you felt you wanted a sudden switch, a sudden you know, switch from the comedy into something more poignant, just to sort yeah. of get the viewer and bring an emotive reality into, into their lives. And um, uh, and you know and it served served that purpose very well and you kind of think no I don't really want to go back to that after. no that's 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 fair it it just leaves us wanting to, to know more but um in in that first one foot novel you you written you, yeah, you did give yeah. a little bit of a it's tragic back on in a more it's yeah. elaborated more I won't spoil it because I want no, people to read no, it no, by no. the book um but Nikki does pass on her thanks and gratitude for helping to shape her comedy journey thank you for the you know for the, the thought next question if you're ready this is from Patrick hello Tom I'm Mr Renwick this is Patrick my question for David is this why did you choose Arsenal instead of for example Tottenham Hotspur as a soccer club for Victor to support I recall it was either Tom or a guest mentioned this in a past episode by the way i'm a spurs fan thanks <laughs> <laughs> why did i choose arsenal because spurs, spurs are quite a um they're not as successful as arsenal generally speaking and it might have suited victor well his character to, to, to be unlucky with a team he doesn't win but i suppose that's where the, the angle Patrick's coming from you know i can't even remember the particular reference to that is it um is it when he goes off with barbara windsor it's not that yeah it's, it's a fair of the hollow lady i i, I always assumed and does he you were an arsenal fan going, david no, no no i'm not i'm not terribly into football and if i support anybody it's luton um who've had a real because well, it's my hometown of course and my, my you know my dad used to go to luton town matching you know. but um and anyway morecambe was a director and and they've had a very very rough ride Luton Town in being you know slung out of the yeah of the, out of the league because of all their financial problems done incredibly well to get back to where they are in the um, championship but um so it, the the little that I um follow of um of, of football would be what you know is uh, tends to be supporting Luton but anyway um so I honestly there is no um ulterior motive there um, Richard Wilson of course is a Manchester United fan um, as uh, Alan an Angus is, is, is as a, Angus Alan's a huge Arsenal supporter, but I don't you know. I'm not even sure I started working with Alan by that stage. This was '94, wasn't it? Something like that. Um, there's, there's, there's. Um, I wonder if it's just because. And this, this will get us into the debate of where Victor Margaret lived, because although you film in Bournemouth, Christchurch, they yeah. reference popping into London. Arsenal are a North London club. I wonder if the Maldries do in fact live in. Just outside of North London, and that's. I think probably, yeah, subliminally, I'm sure that I would have always imagined that they were within the same radius of London as I was, 
and I'm a bit further out now near Bedford, but I was always about 30 miles, well, certainly when I was writing it, 30 miles out in Luton. Um, so that would take you anywhere within that sort mm. of circle, Reading or, you know, but in those sort of um, county-ish sort of area, within easy sort of um, um, yeah. of, of, of London. And so it may well be have been that, although, yeah, Spurred is still all London, so it's not exactly the other end of the earth, but um, it may even have been the sentence, it may be getting back to the rhythm of that particular. I have no idea now because I can't remember what that's okay. No, it's 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 um, it's got the word no. arse in it, so that's yeah. funny, <laughs> yes, yes. maybe that's really <laughs> maybe that maybe that's where you're coming from. And yeah. uh, your your series for art director Richard Drew, who's been on the podcast, he's adamant it was he goes, I always assumed they lived. In Bournemouth, Crush, that's where most old people go to retire. That's mm. where they live. I said, uh, could I just, yeah, I think they, yeah. they, they uh, when they went, I think it was the worst horror of all when they went to watch a sitcom being filmed. Yeah. Um, that was sort of nipping into BBC Studios almost the way it was, you know, the way you imagine yeah. they just, I know they you probably to... do get coach parties from Bournemouth coming in, but possibly, yeah, there is that. Yeah. Drive, but no i know the, the reason we went down there and I, I i'm sure i've touched on this when we first spoke was because it was supposedly had the lowest precipitation in the united kingdom and so we were guaranteed you know dry weather for all our filming of course what happens as soon as we get down there <laughs> yeah. and so it done of course once we'd established the locations in there we had to keep going back but yeah. um, it's it's good to be away from right away from the metropolis because everyone's staying in a hotel and mm. the, you know, they haven't got homes to go to in the evening. So they'll you know it's no big deal to turn up early and you know on time in the mornings and maybe no. later at night. But there's there's certainly never any suggestion that they actually live in Christchurch. No, I um I've actually got a question. I just was meaning to ask. You've mentioned you've uh, just for fun and uh, almost as a whatever you call it, therapy, you, you've been writing your diaries, haven't you? And mm-hmm. I wonder if if you thought any more about releasing that as um as like an autobiography and, and what year you're up to. I think you were up to 97 when I spoke to you last year. Oh, I'm actually up to 96. Oh, was it 96? Sorry. Yeah. It started in 76, so I managed to cover 20 years. And, That's not bad you know, going. That's not bad. No, I mean, it's sort of edited down for, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's partly for my own benefit, just the sort of record of what I've done. It's only my my sort of working life. It doesn't cover, I mean, it would be many millions of words if it was just all my entire everything. But yeah. um, but the stuff, it's quite sort of interesting to go back and, you know, things. It's really, it's a case of just setting my, it's, you know, it's, it's like putting my memory onto hard drive, my memory, my human memory, which yeah. I you know would not be in any way as reliable. And you go back and you think, my God, did that happen? Did we do that? Does that, you know, and um, it's, it's uh, very, very valuable in that respect. Um, I don't know. I mean, of course, one of the you know, sort of functions of having, um, uh, of recording a diary like that is, is uh, one of the many functions is to let off steam and so you know you might come home or put down the phone after a particularly exacerbating or um you know annoying conversational moment or development in your in your work and your life and really you know yeah. go at someone hammer and tongs i mean this happened with um i don't know if you ever read the kenneth williams diaries um you know you come come back from a Hancock recording or something and uh, where he was all sweetness and light and, you know, being, you know, the jolly jester on set and, and then just 
really lay into the either the show, the script, the carry on script that you yeah. did or whatever. And it sort of, you know, Gulpman Simpson was like, we ne- he was never like that when you spoke to him, but he, you know, all of this stuff would be confided to his diary for, you know, posthumous um, attention many years later. And so there's that sort of worry because there's, there's obviously a bit of that goes in there. And as to whether you would want the, I mean, if the people have now passed on, which a lot of them have at my age, my time of life, um, you don't, wouldn't feel so bad about it, I suppose. No, it, no. Um, uh, and the, I have to say, it's not just, you know, a lot of it is hugely complimentary to people. But at the time, I mean, this is one of the things I find is interesting about diaries, really, is that, you know, it's, it's recording your, your views and your attitudes at that time. And they may subsequently have changed very radically, as you know, because you got to know someone better or whatever. And you know, so it's also sort of organic. It's organically yeah. written for, for the is, moment. It is exactly far more so, I think, than just a, a memoir that you sit down and write. You know, totally. In, yeah, in, it's there. It's a snapshot back. You know, Tardis-like into that moment. Secretly hoping chapter 30, 2022, another bloody podcast. Three yeah. hours it took. <laughs> Are you ready for the next question? Yeah. This is from Sarah Garden. Hi, this is a message for um, David Renwick. Um, if there's anything you could change um, about One Foot in the Grave, if you could go back and change anything or do something differently, what would it be? Well, I'm sure... I'm proud of what you've done, of course, but... I, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't for a moment... In, uh, suggest that you know it's all unimprovable um comedically dramatically in every respect but um i and i know i spoke to you about this before is um i think my attitudes to animals have changed really radically since uh, the early days of uh, writing that show and um, you know as, as you do you know um and the uh, the treatment <laughs> of not only the treatment of um, animals particularly in that first and second series with the you know the cat in the freezer i would never write that now um you know the whole thing just just you know makes me wince um and the tortoise and you know it's i mean those are which i use for comic effect um but i think not even so much though because they were both accidents you know and i suppose they're still kind of illegitimate in story terms it's probably mm. more i think just probably victor's reaction which was probably wasn't quite as wasn't as horrified as i think maybe i would write it subsequently i mean Ma- margaret's was i mean she reacted with the kind of you know the the, the horror that you would expect and revulsion and and dismay but um victor in a way one, it was I, the machine gun of one-liners la- though isn't it from victor yeah, that's what made it, la- that I, scene brilliant no i know you know what's it supposed to have done rub two fish fingers with? <laughs> and all that stuff i mean i just you know came out with all the this is because of going back to the kind of neil simon approach and you just mm. I just love the year machine gun is right, you know, and so but but looking back, you know, in a more purist sense, um, yes, they're funny lines or you know, got laughs, but um, does he does he react with uh, you know as sympathetically as he should do? Those those are the sorts of areas I, I probably would um, readdress now. And you know, yeah, that's that's a fair that's a fair point, but should be a you know ashamed or wince at them because for the for the time it was written, it, people still laugh. At them now. I, I actually came up with a, a quiz question for one of my for, for my guests, and was how many animal references yes, are I there? <laughs> and I and I, I I was very impressed by Rachel reeling off about twenty, and I thought, well, that's surely still only the tip of the iceberg. Is <laughs> there's about I think there's um, yeah, Patrick, 
read out a question earlier. He, he came up with another 10 or 11 I thought of. But did you, um, Rachel had a, I just made a, a, a thing of her surname, Pe- Rachel Pennycate. And I thought that sounded very, a Renwicky name. Um, mm. I don't know if you would agree. Rachel, Pe- Miss, Miss Pennycate. And I made a point of just <laughs> referencing <laughs> her surname a few times, uh, even in the title of a podcast. But I should be thrilled that you even mentioned mentioned it but, uh, yeah no i i thought that was uh well i don't know exactly how long she had to do it i know you just slipped out from i did yeah i think she only had out. um to three minutes two or three minutes um it took me long, well, a lot well a lot longer to come up with i think 38 or 39 and there's i think there's about 60 odd um yes and the rest i would think i mean animals have always you know it's always been a source of just you know and right way back into the first things that got me interested in comedy were um shows like i'm sorry i'll read that again on the radio who made a big deal of ferrets and you know and why a ferret should be funny i don't know they did a song with john cleasing and i got a ferret sticking up my nose and this was the stuff that as a schoolboy used to you know reduce me and my yeah yeah it's just built gone on from there it seems to be a very um very sort of easy kind of um, motif to yeah well david we reached the final question and this is from a certain director and she's called chris hi david renwick as my longtime favorite writer i just wanted to ask you with all the directors that you've worked with perhaps perhaps you have a favorite one um just wondering anyway uh love your work chris from carmel Favourite directors? There was one I have very fond memories of, and two of us once replicating the sound of Sheridan Smith having sex to the rhythm of various Elvis Presley songs by bouncing up and down on chairs. Was it Chris somebody? It's a long time ago now. That's what you'd call a solid working relationship. But um, Actually, I've probably not worked really closely with more than half a dozen different directors in my time, so I think it would be unfair to single anyone out. Among ones I haven't worked with so closely will be a few on the least favourite list, but I don't think we need to go there. Probably a good moment to end that, actually. Okay. Uh, thank you, listeners, well, for your questions. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Who um, too many to name, but I, I appreciate I, just the interest. I, I'm I'm sure I haven't satisfactorily answered everybody's question. I mean, I've tried tried to get get close to it. And I just I just thought the fact it. you've answered them, even giving it a shot. I mean, it's a very detailed answer for each of them. So and for mine. So thank you very much. It's uh, an honour to have you back on. And uh, three times, wow! I don't, you know, to get you on the first time, sort of pinching myself, but two more times um that's that's wonderful so thank you david no well not at all i mean this is the sort of you know and, and i'm you know this this is my career now <laughs> sort of, you know, <laughs> i'm sorry about that sort of dredging over my past glories rather than needing to no 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 sorry about it i'm i'm very happy you know it's a far more sort of rewarding and uh, relaxed kind of thing than sitting down in the morning trying to come up with the yeah books or the material so um i'm very happy send my um apologies to ellie for a taking you away for best part two hours two and a half hours on a saturday lunch thank you david for um, coming on to the podcast no thank you for having me back again i hope we can do it again pleasure thank you i don't believe it margaret mrs warboys david renwick one foot in the podcast thank you very much